Hello, and welcome to Don't Talk About It. I'm your host, Dean D, and I'm here with my good friend, Sean. Sean, how are you today? Good, Dean. Thanks for having me on today. It's uh, really a pleasure. Thank you. It uh, goes both ways. I appreciate the time um, for you to share your story, and we actually have something in common today. Sean is also an identical twin. Uh, my brother and I um, are one minute apart, uh, mainly because it was a C-section. But how far are you and your brother apart, Sean? Are you guys close? Yeah, yeah. actually, my brother uh, died at birth. Um, he was at an emergency C-section. I came out natural. And then, um, yeah, he came out about five minutes later. He died. Uh, and then they were actually able to revive him. So it's quite a miracle. Oh, my goodness, Sean. I think I'm just realizing that for the first time. I don't think you've ever shared that with me before. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not something that I, I really talk about because, I mean, he's here and, and we're we're together now. So that's good. Wow. It sounds like you had a very unique relationship right from the start. And my brother and I uh, are have always been close our entire relationship. I remember growing up, like, we always played with Legos. Um, it was a Saturday morning for us was, like, a box of Connects and some Legos. Connects were, like, those little kind of the advancement of lean logs. And um, we would just spend the whole day today together being creative and just building things. I remember my mom would bring home a box of Legos and we didn't even try to build what was on the picture on, on the box on the, you know, we just kind of did our own thing and went for it. And that was, that was the whole day. Or would, would you say your brother and you were close as a, as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. We actually spent a lot of time uh, hanging out with our neighbors. We were always riding bikes, doing pogo sticks. My mom would buy us um, all these toys that we would never play with. We always wanted to be outside and, and hanging out with friends, but also, you know, telling her that we were bored and we didn't know what to do. And, um, yeah, but, but we had that kind of relationship where we'd go and, um, you know, run the block and, you know. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds a lot like my brother and I. We were very close. Um, we, we always had the same friends growing up, um, so we, we hung out in the same group. Um, I know all through high school, my brother and I were inseparable, which actually kind of leads into our first segue of um, kind of when my brother went off to Oregon State for the first year and I went to SOU because I really wanted to do criminology. And it was this huge moment where I realized that this identity, this character, this person of being a twin and having this safety net to walk into any situation and you know, have an ace up your sleeve, so to say, has really changed. And I realized that I didn't know anything about myself outside of that twin identity. And a lot of my decisions growing up as a kid were based on what my brother and I both wanted instead of what just one of us wanted. Did you have anything similar like this, Sean? Yeah, actually, when I had my first experience going off on my own, I went to Europe, and uh, this was kind of so a solo trip. I was decided, you know, I got fired from work. I saved up all this money. I was like, I've got to get out of here and go kind of be on my own. So um, I went to Europe for a couple months, traveled by myself, and no longer had that, you know, immediate 
connection of being a twin, but being Sean and who I am. And um, that was really, really exhilarating. Did that moment hit you like as soon as you landed or did it take a little while for you to um, realize that your you know, safety net, so to say, was gone and you had some time to reflect? Yeah, good question. Um, when I landed, I, I was, I guess, still in shock. And, um, you know, I used to, in high school or throughout the days with my brother, I always had someone to hang out with, you know, like during recess or lunch. I always, you know, had that one person. But now that I was off on my own with nobody else that I knew, I had to learn how to just strike conversation with random people and, and try to learn that independence that I've never had before. So, yeah. Would you say, that's great, Sean, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, it sounds like we're having a lot of similarities to talk about today. Was your brother the one who was more of the social butterfly, kind of the outreacher, or was it you? Because I know with me, I... For those of you who know me in, like, the jazz hands of the wet floor sign, it's, I mean, dynamic energy is how my wife describes it. So um, I'm kind of like a Jack Russell. I'll be told no a hundred times before I try again. And, um, And so meeting people for me was very easy because I always felt like if I saw somebody who was an interest, and I'm not talking about, females for dating or anything like that. I'm just talking about somebody who you felt their energy vibed along with your energy or you just connected. And I was always aware of somebody who I felt like could be a good potential friend. And leaving without asking was more of a regret for me than being told no. So I was always like the social one who always reached out, always had friends, always went to parties. And I would say my brother, up in, especially up until college, when it was more forced, was definitely more the one who didn't reach out and kind of rode my coattails on socialness. So you're, you know, you're alone here in Europe for the first time. And do you feel like you had any of those skills at, at your disposal, or was that more of your brother's department? Yeah, so growing up, I was definitely more of like a ladies' man. I liked to hang out with the girls and talk to all of them, and my brother kind of followed, and he would be friends with the girlfriends that I had. Um, Once we got towards about high school, um, I had some identity finding. uh, I wasn't comfortable with who I was, and I tried to kind of hide myself from him, which made us a little bit more, um, I guess, not as close anymore. So uh, once I did kind of find out who I was and, you know, more comfortable with myself, uh, I was able to be more comfortable with him. And um, that made us more compatible on our, on our brotherly ship. <laughs> and, and, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. That makes a lot of sense, Sean. You're, you're talking about finding yourself in that time where you really separated. And I feel like for, for me, if I'm going to piggyback here on your story, thanks for letting me is um, was when I got my first high school girlfriend, I think for me was the first time that I realized that this entire self of who I am is completely lost 
because I started dating somebody and she was only interested in me. And I, I remember feeling so stupid when I was, uh, you know, this I think I was 15 at the time because she asked me out on a date and I, I didn't really know what she was doing. And, and I said, oh, yeah, I said, what time? I'll tell my brother. <laughs> Because at, at that point, we were, you know, so used to doing everything as twins that I never even had separated myself that, you know, that she might be interested in just me as a person. And um, my my high school girlfriend, my first girlfriend, uh, really was a great growing opportunity because she was o- o- only interested in me. She did not get along very well with my brother And it really put me in a moment where I realized that she sees something in me that she likes, and I don't even know what that is, because it's not a together thing. So, um, so that was huge. My my brother and I spent a lot of time arguing and fighting, and I remember my brother was so pissed at me because. I would go to the movies on a Friday instead of having plans for the two of us. But in all honesty, it, it was the flip side in college when my brother had a very serious girlfriend in college um, who he later went on to marry. He made me feel the way I believe he felt in high school. Is I felt very left out. I felt very alone. And even though I had like these moments of growth myself... I hadn't really let go of him. So even though I was growing as a person, I was still really holding him to my expectations of what a a twin brother should be. So it's kind of like trying to grow as yourself as a person, but still holding on to the old and say, like, for example, in in a transition of a job or a transition of a relationship, you you know you're growing, but at the same time, it's it's very daunting to take that step. And for for me, it was definitely that that self. And um, I don't know, Sean. I mean, how does how's that resonating with you a little bit there? Yeah. So I could probably compare that into like breaking up with a girlfriend, or you know, your dog dying, or something. It feels like a piece of you is missing, and you don't know how to act or what to do you feel kind of lost and then you have to kind of just grow and and yeah it it, to me it's just exactly like a relationship (laughs) and and you're right it it is I mean I feel like we value the most important thing that we value is relationships and it it reminds me of this really close friend of mine Um, when I was in high school his grandfather said something to me before he passed away he said, Dean, you can't take it with you except for one thing. And I said, what's that? He said, you can't take your cars with you. You can't take your houses with you. You can't take your bank account with you. But what you can take with you is your memories. And the most powerful part of your memory is your relationships. And it is either those positive relationships or negative relationships, whatever they are, those are the most important thing to most people in their life. And that is what you get to take away with you. And, um, and I remember that, obviously, to this day. And, and so, 
in, in finding myself through this, jumping back into the relationship part of things, is I just had realized that I had depended on my brother and I so much all through high school. I mean, every single friend, every single clique, I mean, all through high school, we were known as the twins or uh, the McGinnis boys or, you know, the Mac twins. It was always whatever party we went to, whatever hangout we went to, we were always instantly looked at. And I don't want to say idolized, but like we were the center of attention. And maybe it was because we were the center of conversation is it whether that's positive or negative it it always put this the spotlight on you and then when i went into this moment of self-growth and and individuality i realized that nobody cared about the spotlight being on me when i was no longer this identity of character it reminds me a little bit of like a doctor and how i have a, a friend of mine who's a really really close friend who's a neurosurgeon back east and he was telling me how the hardest part for him is getting rid of the white coat and he takes it off when he leaves the office but it is always the label that he wears no matter where he's at when he meets people his wife automatically introduces him as a doctor instead of by his first name and um, as soon as that happens, then, oh, you're a good friend. I want some advice. I want this. I want that. And you're instantly looked at that doctor character, that doctor label, um, instead of looked at as who you are, which is, you know, let's say Jim Jones. Like, if your name is Jim Jones and you're the physician, that is just one part of who you are, but it's not what clearly defines you. Um, but Sean, like jumping back on a topic, uh, tell us a little more about your trip in Europe. Like what were those, how did you grow through Europe? Like you talk about it being a self growth moment. What was that moment? Do you remember that moment? Um, how did you grow through your trip? How did you feel when you left the plane, um, or when you landed in Europe versus when you got back on the plane to come back to America, if I can frame it that way? Yeah, that was a good outline there. Um, I, so the night before I took off, I was I went to Ziggy Marley, um, Bob Marley's son's concert, and um, I was hanging out, and I was I was seriously like in my bed thinking I've got nine hours before my flight, I've got eight hours before my flight, I've got seven hours before my flight, and I even went into my brother's room and I was like, Hey, dude, like, what am I doing? Am I actually going to be leaving tomorrow? You know, at seven in the morning to fly out to London? You know, by myself. And um, so I, I was like, you know, it's okay. I'm just going to go to bed. And, I, of course, I couldn't sleep that night. And I got up in the morning, and I was, I was super ready. Uh, I packed my bag. I had all my stuff. Uh, made sure I had my, you know, toothbrush and toothpaste and, you know, underarm stuff and whatever. But um, I finally caught that flight all the way to London. It was a, a nine-hour flight. And once I got off that plane, I, I think I was ready. I was, I was ready to conquer all of Europe. Uh, I wasn't scared. I was by myself. Um, just so excited to be in a different country. And um, the coolest part, I think, about being in London was when the English said that I had an accent. I, I was like, what? No, you have an accent, you know? And, and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. But that was, I guess that's kind of a similarity of being a twin, you know, like, being different, and, and here I am being different in another country. 
Um, and so it was kind of easy to, to talk to random people because I'd say, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, Sean, I'm from America. And they always uh, immediately, not, not to get into politics, but they said, oh, who did you vote for? Or, you know, um, and, and they wanted to know, <laughs> like, how different America is. And, and um, they're just really, really interested in, in politics there about America. Um, but anyway, so... Then um, I went to London, I went to Croatia, I went a few more places, and then um, once I was in Germany, I was getting ready to fly back, and I, of course, didn't want to go home since I'd been there so long. And then, um, yeah, so then I took that, took the flight, I sat next to this woman that was actually really, really nice, she was, she was, uh, came back from one of the, the bars that I went to, and um, anyway, we talked that whole entire flight, nine hours going back home, and I was just so, so nervous to get back home and see my brother. Um, I was wondering if the house was a mess, um, if, you know, the doors were still on the hinges, uh, you know, any broken windows, or if my car was even still there. Um, he's pretty uh, unreliable when it comes to cleaning and, and any, anything to do with that. So um, once I got there, I open up the door. It was like steaming hot. It's, it's August. It's really, really hot outside. And it just smells like, you know, beer cans and weed. And, um, you know, at least the dogs still had their legs. Um, but anyway, I, <laughs> I get in there and I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, Nick, what happened? Like, why is, you know, the floor's dirty and everything's dirty. The counters are dirty. I mean, there's scuffs all over. Like, it literally looks like a bomb went off. And, um, he didn't really have an explanation for it, but uh, at that point, I, I think I kind of had a little bit of anger because I was like, you know, you knew I was coming home and you didn't clean. Like, what's going on? And, um, yeah, I had a stack of two months' worth of mail on the table. There was literally, like, catalogs. There was, like, junk mail. I'm like, why, did, why didn't you just throw this stuff away? Like, I, I don't need any of that stuff. But, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think I realized once I got back that I could live with him, and I could also live without him. <laughs> I, I could definitely relate to that. I, my brother is my best friend, and at the same time, um, we both have our done moments with each other where it's like, okay, uh, the point of this conversation or the point of this um, or the part of this, let's say, outing is over. Um, Sean, if I could put you on the spot, you said two things that I wanted to ask you, and you can definitely deny it on, on the microphone. You don't have to put it on the spot here. Um, but my two questions are, when you flew out and you said you couldn't sleep, what do you think was so hard to let go of? What is it that you think kept you from wanting to get on that plane? Question number one. Yeah, one of my biggest fears was being by myself, like not having anyone there to help guide me, no tour guide, no no other connection with any other person. I was really like scared of being alone and being alone that long and also w making sure that my, my trip was planned properly. Like what if I don't catch this bus or what if I don't catch that flight? I've never used any railroad system or underground or public transportation. And once I got there, I was stuck multiple times going the wrong way or through the wrong tunnel and I had no direction of which way was right or wrong um, so that was kind of my biggest fear of not knowing what to do I'm, I'm so used to doing my day to day life here in 
you know, in Oregon, so. Thanks, Sean. Would you say that that moment of fear was as bad as you dreaded out to be? Because I feel like sometimes we tend to fester things into a bigger moment than they actually are once you get there. The outcome was very, very exciting, and, and it wasn't as bad as I thought. I, I think with time and thought and a little bit of money, you can at least get to your destination that you were expecting. Yeah, that trip sounds like a really, really great time. The other question that I have that I wanted to address is you said when you got there, you became the American, and that became your title or your character or your label. So it it almost sounds like as you use Europe to grow um, as an individual, you did it with a little bit of a safety net, but instead of being the twin that was your safety net. It was this idea of bearing an American in a different country. So um, it's almost like it was a way for you to explore individuality, but still kind of drop the safety net a little bit, but not completely remove it. What are your thoughts? Am, am I way out in left field with that one? I think you're completely right. I think that that's exactly exactly a good uh, um, observation there. I never actually saw it that way until until you really pointed it out there um yeah and and i would say oh i'm from oregon and people would go where's that you know where's oregon they've never heard of it before of course and then i would tell them oh it's right above california and then oh my gosh uh, california los angeles beverly hills the california dream they thought it was everyone so cool. knows la yeah yeah they thought it was the coolest thing that was by by california and have i ever been to la and um yeah so it was it was kind of a way to uh, relate with people you know in that way yeah and it, it kind of reminds me thanks sean I, I appreciate you let me put put you on the spot there especially with uh with a epiphany over the microphone yeah. Um, but the reason why I think I was able to see that is I did something really similar and it was with my college girlfriend. Um, my last two years of college, um, I started dating somebody who I felt like really supported me and really accepted me for who I was as an individual. And it allowed me to try new things. Um, for example, like, uh, going let's say doing pottery, that was actually something that she was really into was doing ceramics. And I've always had an interest in it, but I always thought like if I wasn't good at it, then then there's that demoralizing reality that, you know, what you want to do might not be what you're good at. And that sometimes is hard to swallow. Um, but she allowed me to kind of fail with a safety net. So as you were able to try this new version of Sean, um, as an American in a different country, I was able to try this new version of Dean because I was accepted um, by my college girlfriend. And it, it really was, I feel like, kind of that segue into growing as self because um, no matter who we are, I feel like all of us tend to be labeled at some point. Um, we're either labeled by our age, we're labeled by our gender, we're labeled by our sexuality, we're labeled by our 
professions. I mean, I have a friend of mine who is an electrician up in Alaska and makes like buco bucks, but he's still seen as like a blue collar worker and somebody who like needs to do better. Um, same thing with a friend of mine who does underwater welding on bridges. And I mean, it's an insane job. I mean, he makes like three digits an hour and um, he's always kind of looked down on because he's not a, a doctor or, you know, an astrophysicist or people have always say, oh, it sounds like you have real talent. Like, why didn't you do something else with your talents? But I, I think a, a lot of it is for, for us as individuals is being able to sit still long enough to have a conversation with yourself. Because a lot of times we don't want to sit still because, you know, we might be scared of who the real me is. I, I mentioned this last week, on, uh, but it's almost like a character. Uh, for example, when I hurt my knee, I played Fable for quite a long time, and I got to build this super cool character that got to run around and do whatever they wanted, and they looked um, exactly the way I wanted them to. And then the game ended, and I, you know, I still had a, a a knee that needed to be recovered, and and time where I wasn't supposed to be on it. And what it it did is it it made me feel like I don't want to go all the way back to the beginning and start over. I don't want to just be this character, this plain nothing. But what I've realized in my older wisdom is that. A, a lack of pride about yourself tends to be the driving force behind the decisions we make and scared to be individuals. If, if you know, if I try to, let's say, wear a new pair of shoes and, you know, maybe we're going out to this fancy dinner and it's not the style of everybody else that I'm in the group with, I might not wear those even though they speak true to who I am as a person because of the fear of being judged or being looked at as um, an individual instead of uh, a member of this group or that group. And, you know, each one of those groups have different statuses and different identities. And, um, and when we cling to something, it, it's like our safety net, and it really helps support us as we move forward. I feel like until we get the growth in ourself to support ourself as who we are. And then once you are comfortable more with who you are, and I feel like comfort means accepting that you might not want to hear what you want to hear. And for me, that was, I'm overwhelming. My wife, I am this person who is like energetic and she always calls it dynamic energy. And it's like the energizer buddy types Ted. And I was so hurt when she first told me that I need to calm down or I need to like go take a walk or and I just instantly felt self-defensive because this was no like no this is me this is who I am and all of a sudden you don't like me but that's not at all what it is what it has to do with is that at that moment I am too much for her not that I am unacceptable for her and that's the difference. And so as I've started to grow as a person and feel confident about who I am um, and my identity, I, I feel like I've dropped those labels. It's kind of like when you first learn trapeze and you need that safety net and then they start to lower it. And then next thing you know, you're really 
ballsy, so to say, and you like go out there and try it without a net. And I feel a little bit that's like like life is we need those safety nets um, and until we gain that confidence to see who we are. And for me, that was always my twin. My twin was my safety net. My twin was my crutch. Um, or not crutch, but my, yeah, I mean, my twin was my crutch is because he prevented me from growing as a person, but it was only because I allowed it to happen, so to say. Um, but that's my little rant, Sean. What are your two cents on any of this? Everything that you said was actually pretty, pretty well said, I think. Um, I, It's all right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the philosopher behind this, this episode. That's uh, actually behind the podcast. That's why it's my podcast. Uh, hey, I appreciate it, man. We will, we're going to actually probably wrap it up there um, with my last little rant. Uh, but, yeah, so pay attention to kind of why you do things. Are you doing this because it fills your cup? Um, are you doing this because it speaks to who you are as a person? Or are you doing this because it is your safety net? Um, Sean, I appreciate everything that you said today. i sorry I put you on the spot with a few questions, but I, I applaud you for your efforts. And uh, um, it feels like we both learned something here. Thanks for having me, Dean. It's been really fun. And, um, yeah, hopefully we see you on the next podcast. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. For everyone who's listening, thank you for your time. Thank you for your ears. And remember, you are great as an individual. And, you know, build upon that. Start to fill your cup up a little bit. And you don't need that safety net if if you don't want it. I mean, it's definitely there. But growth comes from being able to drop that down a little bit. Once again, thank you for your time, your ears. Have a splendid day.